with me tonight to the book of Genesis, chapter 21. Genesis 21 and verse 10. Genesis 21 and verse 10 says, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, because of thy bondwoman, and all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Genesis 22, verse 1, It came to pass after these things, that God did tempt or test, is what the original language means, that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Verse 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again unto you. I'm going to preach tonight for a little bit this title a place of entreaty a place of entreaty let's put our bibles down let's go before the lord in prayer on this wednesday night lord we love you god i thank you for your word i thank you for your plan lord i thank you for your people god i know that you want to move among us tonight you want to move in our midst. You want to work, God, and we want to let you work. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would take us deeper tonight than we have been today. Take us deeper today than we were yesterday. God, help us to continue to grow in you. We want to be in your will. We want your will to be done in us and through us. And God, we magnify your name. We give you thanks and honor and praise in the name of Jesus. Let's clap our hands unto him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated tonight. A place of entreaty. We find in Genesis 21 a very familiar set of characters or people rather and not an unfamiliar 
story, not an unfamiliar passage. But we find where this patriarch by the name of Abraham and along with his wife Sarah have been, you could call it, wandering through the land of Canaan. They've been marching. They've been living. They've been moving from place to place. The Bible says that Abraham dwelled in tents. He did not have a home of brick and mortar. He did not have a home of wood and plaster. He lived in tents. He was living a nomadic lifestyle. God had called him from Ur of the Chaldees. He had called him out to be used of God, to experience something greater than what he had experienced up to this point. God's vision for Abraham is much like his vision for you, his vision for me. He does not call us to go experience the normal. He doesn't call us to take us backward into things that we could experience elsewhere. God does not call us so we could just work and just do and just exist like we could in a secular job or in a secular setting. But when he called Abraham and Sarah, he was calling them out of the place where they were he was calling them not into the everyday mundane, but he was calling them into a level of relationship with God where they were going to experience things that would be eternal, eternally changing or uh, eternally lasting. It would be life changing. It would be extraordinary. God did not call them and God does not call us to just live in the ordinary. But God had promised Abram and Sarai before he changed their names. He had promised Abraham. He said, listen, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heaven, like the sands that are on the seaside that, that you cannot number, like the stars of the heavens that you cannot number. And when we know it was an earthly promise. It was a heavenly promise. It was twofold and all of those things. But nevertheless, let's not forget that from the day that he promised until the day that the promise seemed to be fulfilled, it was years. It was decades. God, you promised me this, and I don't see it happening yet. Uh, you, you promised me a son, and I don't see it happening. And so Sarai understands, and she sees the weight that it's causing Abraham. They're not getting any younger. They're 80 and 90 years old. It's a decade between them. 80 and 90 years old, and you're telling me I'm going to have a son. You have lost your mind. The Jeff Arnold said that relationship had been reduced to a handshake and a wink. You are crazy, God. And so for 10 years and beyond, they are wandering. And Sarai seeing the weight of what Abraham wants to be. 
that Abraham wants to be the father of nations. That Abraham wants to be the man of God that God has promised him he could be. Sarai, we, we, we give her uh, bad creds. But she's really just trying to be a good wife. She's trying to say, you know what, Abram, I, I know that, that that's what you want to be, but, but maybe the problem is with me. Maybe the problem is that I'm not the woman of God that you need me to be. So here's Hagar. She's my maid. She's my servant. Why don't you take her and go have a child with her? And it creates all kinds of issues. There's a message in and of itself in Hagar just put it this way she was an Egyptian Abraham and Sarah picked her up when they ran into Egypt to hide you got to be careful what you pick up in Egypt okay that's a whole that's just that's the cliff notes it creates problems creates problems and now God has blessed Abraham and Sarah with a young man by the name of Isaac. And they name him Laughter, not because Sarah laughed when she heard the angel and when she heard God speaking to Abraham, but, but because Abraham had been so overjoyed that, that God was really able to do it. And this is the promised child that I have waited for. And he was overjoyed and he was overcome with joy. And so he's laughing. He's, he's falling out into fits of joyous laughter and so they named this son Isaac and now it's been 14 years 14 years that Ishmael and Isaac have lived together Ishmael's 14 years older than Isaac he has persecuted his little brother beyond just the the picking of siblings he hates Isaac. And so the inner conflict, the inner turmoil of this dysfunctional family. Because now Hagar has had to go back to being servant. Sarah saying, Abraham, I know you're out in the fields with your sheep herders and your cattlemen and you don't see what I see around here but it's gotten bad it's gotten ugly it's gotten vicious and so Abraham is put between a rock and a hard place and this decision is very grievous to Abraham but Abraham in his spirituality he's understanding that God is recognizing Isaac in a way, in a manner, in a fashion that he's not recognizing Ishmael. And so Sarah is pushing Abraham, you got, you got to get him out of here. You've got to send them on their way. And Abraham is thinking, you don't understand, he's my son, and, and this and that, and, and I, I don't want to send him away. But God starts speaking to Abraham, and he's saying, listen, Abraham, you need to listen to Sarah. She's right. You need to move him out. You need to move her out there is a distinction that has been placed upon Isaac he was the promised child after all of these years 
now he's starting to see the glimmer of hope that this is the promised child. This is the one through which there would be nations. There would be people that are innumerable. So understand the level of love and the, the place and the, uh, the place of distinction even in Abraham's heart as a father, let alone in the eyes of God. But we get to Genesis 22 and it comes to pass after these things and Abraham plants a grove. He digs wells in Beersheba. There's, there's transactions that happen and there is, there is time that takes place and, and Abraham is elevated in the eyes of those who are around them in the land of Canaan, the Philistines. And after these things that God did test Abraham and he says, Abraham, behold, here am I. Uh, he said, I want you to take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. We understand what God's doing here. God is letting Abraham know that I don't recognize Ishmael as the promised child. I don't recognize him as the son. I know that, that Hagar was in the wilderness and she was crying and she was hungry and she was thirsty. And so I blessed her and I blessed Ishmael. But just because they're blessed doesn't mean that they're mine. And so I want you to take Isaac, your son, your only son, and I want you to, I, I know that you love him, and I want you to bring him to the land of Moriah, and I want you to offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. You don't understand, though, God, what you're asking me to do. But, Abraham rose up early in the morning. He gets two young men. They grab a donkey. They load that donkey with wood for the burnt offering. And they take off. Abraham, without telling Sarah what God has asked him to do. But he goes to the place which God had told him. It's a two-day journey. A two-day journey, and the entire time, Abraham is thinking. For 48 hours, he's thinking. God, is this really what you want me to do? Is this really what it has come to? Somewhere between the first day and the third day, Abraham is lifting up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Hey, stay here with the donkey and me and the lad. We're going to go yonder and we are going to worship. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know why God is asking me to do this. I don't know why he's putting me through this test. But one thing I do know is that my boy and I, if it's the last thing that we're going to do, we're going to go there and we're going to worship. Even though he may not come back with me, even though I don't know how it's going to work out, we're going there and we're going to worship. And the fact that I have a worshipful mind means that I'm going to have faith that he and I are going to go and we are going to worship and we are going to come back to you. Yeah. Speaking in faith. 
Hebrews eleven nineteen says this of Abraham in this moment. He says, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. God, you may not save him in life, but even if the knife comes down, even if I am forced to follow through with the unspeakable, with the unthinkable, then God, I don't know. I know that you're able to save his life, but I also am willing to guarantee. I am willing to put it in your hands to the point that even if his breath leaves his body, even if his life escapes his body, then I believe that you are able to raise him from the dead. Takes the wood, lays it upon Isaac, his son, takes the fire in his hand, takes the knife, they walk off up the mountain together. Isaac says unto his dad, he said, my father, he said, here am I. My son, behold the fire, the wood. Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. They went, both of them, together. We're going to fast forward. We know the story. We know how Isaac is bound willingly. Mind you, he's 14. His dad is 114. Willingly allows himself to be bound. If it comes down to life and death, I guarantee you, Abraham, you might have more experience, but I can run faster scared than you can mad. But Abraham builds an altar there. He lays the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him upon the altar of the wood. We understand how he raises the knife and then there's a voice in heaven. There's an angel that grabs his wrist and he says, no, I don't want you to do that. I'm thankful that you were willing to do it, I, I, but you're in a place of entreaty. I know that this was a test. I know that you were putting your faith, you were putting not only your life, but the life of your son on the line. But he was convinced of God's promise concerning Isaac. By faith, Abraham answers his son's innocent question by telling him that the matter was in God's hands. God will provide himself a lamb. We understand that the voice from heaven, we understand that God said, look over in the thicket. You're going to find a ram there in the thicket. It wasn't just any ram. It was a perfect ram. It was a perfect sacrifice and God said you're in a place called Mount Moriah that will live in the history books as a place where God came in and where God intervened on behalf of his man God will provide himself a lamb 
John 1, 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And as powerful as the story, when you say story, it sounds fictional. It wasn't fictional. It really happened. When, when we, we understand that the account of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, if that was the end of the story, it would still be a, an awesome story of redemption and sanctification and providing. That's why the Bible calls God, Jehovah Jireh, that's, that's where it came from. The Lord that provides. It's the Lord that provides himself a sacrifice. It's the Lord that provideth. We think about it as, you know what? God's going to fill my wallet. God's going to provide for my needs. But what if it really is to be seen into the, uh, through the eyes of God provided himself as a sacrifice so you and I did not have to die for our own sin? That was the end of the account of that location. It would still be an awesome, awe-inspiring account. But it continues in 2 Samuel 24, verse 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba, 70,000 Men, what's going on? David has asked Joab to go out and number the people. Go out and take a census. And Joab, even being the not very spiritual man that he was, said, uh, David, are you sure you want to do that? Isn't there something that, that God said somewhere that I didn't read for myself, but I heard somewhere that you know he, he didn't want you to number anybody. He didn't want Moses to number the people. You sure you want to do that? And David said, yeah, I I'm sure that I want you to do that. And so he goes out and he starts numbering the people and he doesn't even get all the way done when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it. And God had given David a choice. Do you want me to do this or do you want me to do that? How do you want me to respond to this? David, you messed up. And, and David said, you know what, we're going to try to we're going to try to fall upon the mercy of God on this one. And so they're going out, and, and, and the angel is, is wiping people out. There's judgment. There's pestilence. 70,000 comes to Jerusalem to destroy it, and the Lord repented him of the evil. and said to the angel that destroyed the people, it's enough. Stay now thy hand. The angel of the Lord was by the threshing place. Ornon, Jebusite. I know it's not spelled like Ornon, but it is Ornon, the Jebusite. David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad, who was one of the prophets of that day, came that day to David and said unto him, Go up and rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded, and Ornon looked, 
and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Ornan went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Ornan said, uh, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan looked at David and he said, no, no, you don't have to buy it. You can take it. You can offer whatever seems good to you. There's oxen here. There's, there's instruments, uh, uh, threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. You can take anything you want. It's yours. You can have it. And this is where David looked at Ornan and he said, you know what? No, I'm not going to offer that to the Lord, which costs me nothing. This isn't duty. It's desire. David built an altar there to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord entreated, was entreated for the land, and the plague was stayed from Israel. What does the word entreated mean? It means to plead with, especially in order to persuade. It means to ask urgently, to deal with, to make a deal with, to make an earnest request, to negotiate. And it was there in this place uh, of Ornon the Jebusite's threshing floor where the angel of the Lord had come to. And the angel of the Lord stopped there in front of Ornon's threshing floor. And you got to understand that Ornon is a Jebusite. Ornon is not an Israelite. Ornon is a leftover. Ornan was one of the original inhabitants of Jerusalem when it was called Jebus. And here comes David and his men, and they come conquering the land. And he's giving the Jebusites an opportunity. He said, listen, you can either be killed, you can be run off, or you can convert, and you can stay. And there was something inside the heart of Ornan, the Jebusite, who said, you know what? I know I don't have any occasion. I don't have any right to be here, but I want to be here. I don't want to leave this place. I don't want to leave this city. In fact, I want to live for the God of Israel. And so I will convert. I will make a change. I And you know that it's more than just fluff. It's more than just a a coat that he puts on and takes off because here comes David and Ornan said you don't have to buy it from me you can have whatever it is that you need I'm an open book here's a blank check you do whatever it is that you want to do and it was in that place that God was entreated but the interesting thing about Ornan, the Jebusite's threshing floor, was the fact that it was situated on Mount Moriah. And it's almost as if the angel is approaching the mountain and God is not just looking back and Abraham, he knows what he did for Abraham here in this place. He knows what he did for Isaac here in this place. But now he's looking at Ornan and he's hearing the voice of Abraham running through his mind as he's wiping people out because David had sinned. And it's as if God, you can really begin to see God in his nature as he's hearing Abraham's voice, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And he's looking down at Ornan, who should not be here. He's looking down at Ornan, who has no place, who has no heritage, 
to be here, but he's made a choice. And he said, you know what? I know I've not got everything right, but there's something inside of me that desires to have what Abraham and Isaac had. There's something inside of me that desires to be in God's presence, and I'm willing to give and be given. I'm willing to spend and be spent because I'm in a place of entreaty and I want more of God than I've ever had before. I want to be used by God more than I've ever been used by God before. why we're going to get up and be here at the church at 4.30 to teach a Bible study, to teach a pastor's course to somebody all the way around the world. Because I've got a mind to do. And I've got a mind that says, you know what? I know I'm overweight. I know I don't sleep good at night. I know I'm going to be tired. But it's worth it, elder. I can sleep later. I can sleep later. I want to be in a place of entreaty where I can negotiate with God for somebody's soul. So I can experience God in a greater way than I've ever experienced him before. You see the spirit reciprocated between Ornan and David. I'm not going to give that which costs me nothing. I'm not going to give to God that which costs me nothing. And Ornan's saying, listen, I'll give it willingly. I don't need to be paid for it. I'll just lay it down. You can have it. In fact, you can have the threshing floor. You can have the oxen. You can have the tools. You can have, you can break them apart for the wood. I don't care. I just want to be used by God. You can take everything that I have. You can take everything that I am. You can take everything I've ever hoped to be. And if it's placed in the hand of God, he said, I know what God's going to do with it. There's an entire city over here that are waiting upon the angel and his decision they're waiting on Ornan to be willing God understands the heart of Ornan which is why God comes to to David and he said you go over there to Ornan's and you're going to build an altar there and you're going to sacrifice and the angel is going to be stopped. The pestilence, the plague is going to be stayed because I know that in Ornan I've got a man who is willing to give and be given. Something that gets God's attention. When we come into Mount Moriah, as Abraham and Isaac did. And it wasn't just Abraham who said, I will be spent and I will spend. I will spend and be spent. I will give and be given. It wasn't just Abraham, but it was Isaac who said, you know what, Dad? If the last thing we do together is worship, then it's a life that's been well lived. If my life is consumed with the kingdom, then by God, it's the best life I could have ever lived. And I know that I'm not building an inheritance where moth and rust doth corrupt, but I'm building an inheritance beyond what can be seen and let me tell you folks when we put ourselves in that position we are putting ourselves in a perfect negotiating position with God we are putting ourselves in a place to experience God like we've never experienced him before putting yourself in a position to persuade God be able to ask urgently 
to deal with God. It's a place of entreaty. It's more than just casual relationship with God. It's a relationship with God that is all-consuming. Consumes my every thought. Consumes my every movement. Consumes my every breath. And at the drop of a hat, I am willing to put myself on the line in order to see God If the account of Mount Moriah ended with Abraham, Isaac, Ornan, and David, what a story. Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite. There's something about, ladies and gentlemen, when we come into the presence of God and it is no holds barred. There is, I feel the Holy Ghost right now flooding this place. There is something about when we come into the house of God and we say, God, I'm bringing everything I am. The lad and I are going over to worship. I know it might feel like death, but we're going to worship. I'm willing to lay everything I've got down just to obey the voice of God. We're going to worship. It's not sacrifice. It's worship. It's not an arranging of the schedule. It's worship. Every time I come in, every time I go out, every time I work, every time I do, it's worship. It's worship. It's that place where Abraham offers Isaac to the Lord. It's the place where Ornan says you can have everything. I don't even have to be identified as a farmer anymore. You can take it all. I'll find something else to do. I'll believe that God's going to bless me. I'll believe that God's going to work because nothing that I could ever give to God will cost me more than the payment that God gives. Whether I see it on this earth or not, I'm sowing into a kingdom that pays eternal dividends. Started out the lad and I going to worship 
builds until there are 70,000 who have already died. And there's an entire city and an entire kingdom that's hinging upon one decision in one location. And Ornon wasn't an Israelite. Yet he was willing. Ornon didn't have the heritage. He wasn't born into the family of the patriarchs. But he inserts himself there by being willing to operate in the place of entreaty. It's in that place that God is persuaded. It's in that place where it's, it's one of the few places where it says that God repents. That God changes direction. Not that God had sinned, but that God changes direction. That God changes the way that He's thinking. Because of someone's heart and someone's desire and someone's attitude when it came time. He told Abraham, he said, bring your son. Isaac asked, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord's going to provide himself a sacrifice. Ornan's threshing floor becomes the site, the building site of Solomon as he's building the temple unto God. It would be in that place where on his very first prayer, he sacrifices a thousand rams. So many bullock and so many turtle doves and on down the line until the blood is literally flowing like a stream. It's a place of entreaty. It's a place where the name of the Lord is put upon His people. It's a place where they come in with issues and they leave. With forgiveness. It's a place where in Second Chronicles 3 and verse 15, also he made before the house two pillars of 30 and 5 cubits high, and the chapter that was on the top of each of them was 5 cubits, and he made chains as in the oracle, and put them on the heads of the pillar, and made in hundred pomegranates, and put them on the chains. And he reared up the pillars before the temple, on the one on the right hand, and the other on the left, and called the name of the one on the right hand, Jachin, and the name of the one on the left, Boaz. When you start naming pillars, it's time to take notice. It's a place of entreaty. And these two pillars are marking the entrance to the temple. Jachin, meaning he shall establish. And Boaz, meaning in him is strength. 
And so from the time that the temple of God was built, God wanted his people to know that his house was a place of strength and a place of security. Abraham, I know you've been tested in this place. I know you've had to come up the mountain. I know you've had to make a low, a lonely journey from the lowlands up to the heights. I know it's not been easy. I know you spent two days wondering how it was going to work out, but I need you to understand, Abraham, that my church, that my place, that my kingdom is a place of strength. It's a place of security. Ornon, the Jebusite, you need a revelation, son, that it's a place of strength and security. That's why he could say, you can have it. You can take it all. I know that that I'm in a place of strength. I'm in a place of security. And if God wants it, God can have it. There's nothing worth holding on to when God wants it. It more than affected Abraham and Isaac. It's a place where God was entreated, where God revealed himself, where Abraham proclaims for every succeeding generation that God would provide himself a lamb. It was in that place where it was fortified for John the Baptist when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God is come to take away the sin of the Lord. It's a place of entreaty. It's a place where God begins to move for mankind. Let me preach to you tonight in closing. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple it's a place of entreaty it's a place where I bring my needs I bring my hurt I bring my disappointment I bring my victories I bring my strength and I watch God work for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle, shall he hide me? He shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore, will I offer in this tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. It's a place of entreaty, but it's a place of strength. It's a place of security. journey gets hard. The journey gets tiring. I'm not troubled. I'm not tired. I'm okay. Chill. You don't have to be worried about me. But when life gets hard, things begin to become uncertain. Abraham why don't you bring that boy and come up a little higher? It's where I know him to be, Jehovah Jireh. It's where I learn him to be a lamb slain. It's where I learn that I can bring him my future. I can bring him every prophetic word that's ever been spoken. I can bring him the promised child and I can watch 
God begin to move. I know that at times it feels like sacrifice, but trust me, it's worship. And if I can understand that it's worship, then I can expect a response of angel-stopping proportion. I can expect a response of when Solomon ended his prayer, the Spirit of God was so thick they could not stand to minister. That's what happens in the place of entreaty. 27 and verse 4 sums up the desire of every fully committed child of God. One thing I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. There's no thing and there is no place that provides the sanctuary and safety that is found in God's house. And God earmarked his temple. He told Solomon, he said, Solomon, I want you to name this one Jacob. I want you to name this one Boaz. I want the people to understand it's a place of security. It's a place of strength. It's a place of safety. When you come into the house of God, you're coming into a place of entreaty. You're coming into a place where God meets with men and God meets with women. And when God begins to work and God begins to move, It's a place that David understood. Uh, My desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Uh, The result uh, is that I might have uh, an enduring sense of safety. Even when life gives me trouble, even when life gives me conflict, I will not be overtaken. I will not be destroyed. I will not be drowned in my distress because it's a place of entreaty where I begin to hear the voice of God and I begin to see the wonders of God. He that dwelleth in in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I know it might feel like death at times when my fleshly desires and the promises that I want to see happen aren't happening. But let me preach to you tonight. God knows right where you are. God knows right where you are. And he's trying to make it a place of entreaty. Musicians, come help us. place persuasion to show the salvation plan of God you go and read it that brazen labor that Solomon constructed was a magnificent piece of work 12 oxen on the bottom three facing north three facing south three facing east three facing west The water container, Sister Tracy, was so big, it was called a sea. 23,000 gallons of water. God said, you bring me what you've got, I'll meet you in like manner. I'll accept the sacrifice for sin. I'll wash your sins away. The Spirit of God will fall. 
I wonder if we might leave this place tonight with a greater revelation of what happens when I come in and I'm willing to bear all. I'm willing to bring all. I'm willing to do all. I'm willing to give all. I wonder what might happen in our city if we had an Ornon, the Jebusite relationship with God going on. I wonder what we might experience tonight. Oh, I wonder what might happen when we come into the presence of God and we say, God, here I am. If you want a place to dwell, I've got the place for you. I've got an altar built for you, God. I'm willing to be the location.